Blog Talk Radio. Like always, 
We will have a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. Then we will have a discussion on the theme. So we want you to always feel free to join us and participate by calling in at 323-679-0841 and dial 1. We'd like to wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day, the Lady Valentine's Day. And what we're going to do right now to show our love for our people and humanity, we're going to give you some news that you can use. And we're going to do this by first and foremost introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program. Right now we have with us, we have Brother Haki. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, good to hear you. My name is Haki Kamaki Mishoki, currently with African Awareness. And of course, you know, Brother Africa, my thing is all about institution building. So I wrote a little something, and I, you know, I just thought I'd share it with, with, uh, with the audience. And it goes like this. Now, the correlation between institutions, in this case, the finest laws and policy of a country, and their impact on human behavior is often disregarded by the ruling class. One such criminal case that encapsulates the relationship between institution and the citizenry Institution in this case being a judicial system is the case of Michelle Carter of Massachusetts. Ms. Carter, a 17-year-old, was charged with involuntary manslaughter for telling an ex-boyfriend to kill himself. The boyfriend, Conrad Roy, subsequently killed himself, and Ms. Carter was found guilty and sentenced to 15 months in prison. Now, I found that charge problematic for a couple reasons. First, obviously, the freedom of speech, but secondly, more importantly, what compelling interest would the state have in terms of sending her to prison for telling someone to go kill themselves? Now, in reference to speech and the notion someone espousing an absurdity is criminally liable totally misses the mark, both historically and linguistically. In fact, drop dead is very much part of the American idiom. Uh, being told to drop dead normally does not culminate in people killing themselves. Most people would not concede that kind of power to another person. With respect to state interest, in infringement of speech, interpersonally speaking, severely limits human expression. Any compelling state interest should, should demonstrate how should demonstrate how banter or the back and forth between individuals uh, undermines state security. I think it's important to point out any state security concern should have less to do with private discussions between individuals and more to do with systematic need to conceal the innermost workings of the capitalist system. Philosophically speaking, if we understand the judicial system exists to prop up and preserve power for the ruling class, then it's easier to understand why litigating certain cases are in the interest of the ruling class, not for the sake of justice. Now, in this case, the aggression of this young lady obviously had its roots in anger. The, the more germane inquiry should have been, what is the basis of this anger? Perhaps in analyzing the anger, we could better understand the institutions, whether it be family, school, political, economic, that contribute to her anger. Unfortunately, the judicial system summarily dismisses any possibility for critique of capitalism by adjudicating a young woman a felon. Once she's adjudicated a felon, then the case is closed. In other words, the criminal underpinnings of a criminal system is preserved and the side is no longer closer to understanding implicitly the kind of self-destructiveness that exists. Now, in regard to the young man, what life experiences had he encountered that were so traumatic he was willing to kill himself when instructed to do so? I suspect hopelessness, lack of job availability, and desperation of poverty converge to create a sense of powerlessness. These aspects of capitalism permeates American society, and the impacts are becoming clearer every day. Now, the young man's feeling is, unlike so many other young people, is his lack of access to vices like marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, and or avant-garde lifestyle in his attempt to cope with capitalism's desolate extremes. Now, it's important that we understand the, the, the significance of this, of this case 
because in the African community, when we talk about institutions chaotic or the excuse me catastrophic value system, we understand that this is something that's imposed upon the African community. So when we talk about homelessness, or we talk about unemployment, or we talk about desperation of poverty. These are these are things situations that will actually proliferate. They're not going to decrease. So we got to be very, very clear on that. And we talk about the institutional impacts in terms of how people think. We got to think for a minute. When we think about the economic system, for example, when the economic system that implies scarcity, which denies people basic access to the resources they need, that self that scarcity in turn leads to selfishness. So when we have a media system that uplifts that 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 defines the selfishness as a good thing, that selfishness leads to individualism. So when we have a political system that props up the individualism, the individualism leads to apathy. All values which are antithetical to the interests of African people as we struggle against the enormous odds in terms of our survival in society. So we have to fundamentally look at the kind of value systems that we that that, that we have. How do these value systems inculcate the way our young people think? And what can we do in terms of remedying the situation in terms of clarity to make sure that we understand precisely what we're up against and what we have to do in terms of progress in the society? So institutions are key in terms of the clarifying what those value systems should be, and I encourage people, to, by all means, to please build those institutions where they're so important to our aspirations here in the society of North America. All right, thank you, Brother Aki. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And Father Brother Anthony, we bring you our Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you. Brother Jabari, resident researcher, looking forward to another insightful program. Appreciate the honor and privilege to take part. Hey, after Brother Jabari, we bring in our brother, Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. Greetings to the panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Reverend Moses, and always for your participation. Should I listen to audience? Should I listen to Africa on the Moon? And our theme tonight is deception and retooting for power. We'd like to invite you to come and join in with us this evening by dialing 323-679-0841. If you have any questions or comments, please hit 1. We acknowledge your last four numbers. Like always, the way we get started with our party is to discuss the first aspect of what's going on in our world. And we'll start off with you, Brother ha- um, brother Haki, coming back to you. What's going on in your world, community? What do you have for the people today? Uh, a couple of things, Brother Africa. Uh, first, I want to talk about African Awareness Association to be taking a trip to Cuba, and we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand and see for themselves 
the marvelous work Cuba is doing and to understand the role in terms of institutions and how it can shape the way people think, the way they behave, the way they interact with one another. So Cuba is indispensable in terms of understanding all that is holistic and good for the, in the world and we encourage people to go firsthand and see for themselves. This trip takes place July 24th uh, to July, July 24th to July 31st. And for more information, we ask you to give us a call at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, number two, uh, at gmail.com. So we encourage people to go to Cuba for themselves and see firsthand why Cuba is such a great place. Uh, the second thing, Brother Africa, I, I recently read an article, and, and I, I, it's, it's, it's old, actually it's old news. I think for most people out there, I think they understand, you know, uh, the relationship between the drug trade and uh, U.S. corporations and or intelligence agencies. But in any event, uh, there was an article uh, out of RT News, and they talked about uh, there was a, a, a shipping company called the Mediterranean Shipping Corps, and uh, they leased their vessels from J.P. Morgan. Of course, J.P. Morgan, a giant investment bank. I think most people know about them. But in any event, uh, they were, it was their ship was seized in in Philadelphia uh, port and carrying 20 tons of cocaine. This cocaine cocaine was valued at 1.3 billion dollars. Now the name of the vessel was called the Guyanin. And uh, interesting enough, uh, when he, they were caught, uh, the state attorney position was that these individuals would not be would not uh, face incarceration. Instead, they were released. And in order for them to be released, the state attorney wanted uh, $10 million in cash and a $40 million bond. Now, the question you got to ask yourself, who in the world travels around with $10 million in cash on them if it's not for some, some uh, illicit means? Uh, so the mere fact that he had that kind of money speaks values in terms of the kind of complicity that goes on when we talk about, when we talk about drug trade. Now, if that's not bad enough, in, last, in March of last year, Another ship owned by J.P. Morgan, at least to the same people, the, Metro, the Mediterranean Shipping Corporation, they were stopped. Uh, they were caught with having 1.2 uh, tons of cocaine. And this one, this ship was named the Desiree. And this ship was also stopped in Philadelphia. So you begin to see the pattern. So if we say that the J.P. Morgan didn't know about the drug trading, then you got to ask yourself the first time this, this occurred, then how was it subsequently they again rented out more ships to these same people who were caught for drug trafficking? So clearly, J.P. Morgan had a clear understanding in terms of uh, what was going on in terms, of this, in terms of drug trade. Now, finally, in February of last year, okay, another ship, and this one was caught in Newark, New Jersey port, they were caught with 1.6 tons of cocaine that was seized. And this ship was called the Colada. So you can see the pattern in terms of, you know, in terms of the drug trade. And interestingly enough that when you, when you think about this drug trade, normally when people are caught with large quantities of drugs or, and or money on them, the money is confiscated under civil, civil forfeiture. Well, the mere fact that uh, these, this guy was able to give them $10 million and post a $40 million bond and the ship wasn't confiscated speaks values in terms of the disparities that exist in law enforcement. How is it that somebody driving down the street with, let's say, um, a half a, a half a pound of cocaine, get his get his car, get incarcerated, get his car taken, and the, the drug confiscated, but someone who's with 20 tons of cocaine pays 10 million dollars, 
um, pays a $40 million bond, and he's released. And keep in mind, he's not released pending a trial. He's, 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 he's released pending a resolution. In other words, the government's going to decide what to do in terms of these individuals. When normally, when most times, when someone gets arrested with that kind of quantity of drugs and money, you go right to jail. Well, the government was going to decide what's going to be the outcome of this case, which means there's going to be no trial. The government's unilaterally you know, going to decide if, in fact, these people, you know, should be should be go to jail. There should be a trial held. So clearly, there's a lot of disparity when it comes to law enforcement, and I thought it was very, very interesting for those who don't yet understand that when we talk about the drug trade, it's very easy to 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 somehow indict these guys on the corner, but not but not indict a government that is that is part and parcel of the drug trade in the first place. So I thought this very article was very, very interesting. Brother Aki, got one question for you. Everybody talking about crime, tell me who are the criminals. Yeah, well, I think I think it's very, very clear who the criminals are. I think one of the things is that, you know, in the society, you know, people masquerade, you know, with a suit and tie on, they have a certain amount of respectability. And having a suit and tie does not give you respectability. But nonetheless, in society, people tend to believe that if you got a suit and tie, if you have access to a lot of sums of money, somehow you're above reproach, that the idea of criminality could never happen. But the biggest criminals in the world, and, and, and this is very, very clear, this was made clear in terms of the uh, document called The Dark Alliance, and where the journalists exposed the U.S. Uh, underbelly in terms of its drug trade uh, uh, around the world. Uh, these people are very high-powered individuals. I mean, we talk about people in the intelligence community. We talk about people in corporations. These are high-power criminals. And so, therefore, when they commit crimes, they don't go to prison. Uh, they continue to persist in crime, yet nothing ever happens to them. So we talk about who the real criminal is. We understand the real criminals are those with the suit and ties, those in intelligence, those in the corporations who run, you know, all of, all of these shenanigans that take place, you know, on a daily basis. Thank you, Brother Haki. We'll come back to you later. Let's take Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Um, a few things, uh, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, start with, um, I read an uh, I read an article on the internet, uh, saying that the uh, Central Park Five were awarded uh, forty million dollars for wrongful imprisonment. Now, for those who don't recall, the Central Park Five are uh, five African brothers who were railroaded into prison for allegedly raping and uh, and beating this European uh, jogger that was jogging in Central Park uh, uh, back around uh, 1980, so roughly around that time period. And uh, let's see. And um, does uh, what this has to do with present-day politics is that um, that a real estate magnate at that time, Donald Trump, took out a full-page ad in the New York newspapers uh, calling for the death penalty to be used against the perpetrators of this uh, of this particular crime. And uh, the police railroaded these brothers into prison, and uh, they were found innocent of this uh, uh, of this uh, crime in 2012. 
and they were recently uh, awarded $40 million uh, for wrongful imprisonment. Um, uh, you know, to make a long story short. Uh, another case is an article I read uh, from uh, Push Black uh, uh, regarding the case of a woman that was uh, that that was uh, her SUV was run over by police by an off-duty policeman uh, going 94 miles per hour in a 50-mile-per-hour zone, ran into her, and uh, as a result of the car flipping over several times, it killed her her, her baby. And, uh, and uh, nothing happened at all to the policeman. Uh, the woman who was the victim was, um, was arrested and uh, jailed uh, for a certain period of time because she didn't uh her uh, uh, uh she they uh they alleged that she did not properly secure her infant meanwhile the policeman did not was not punished he was put on administrative leave uh this happened uh, around approximately 3 years ago so he was put on administrative leave at taxpayer expense and uh, the significance of this is the fact that this, in this society, police are given a, a, a great deal of leeway, and they're allowed to get away with virtually anything they want to because they protect the property of the ruling class. Wow. What can you say? What can you say, people? What can you say? Brother Africa. Brother Africa. Yes, Brother Africa. Yes. Let me let, let me just 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 to make sure people are very clear on the Central Park Five case. The lead detective on that case knew those young boys were not guilty. He knew they were not guilty. In order to conceal that reality, that fact, they transferred that lead detective from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Now, in terms of principle, it would have been nice if that time that detective would have said, "Listen, you railroading them boys is not right. You know they're not guilty." He didn't. He kept silent. He kept silent because his aspiration was to receive that pension, and so he was concerned about the justice of the young boys. So this notion that the that the the state the the, the attorney general office in New York wasn't clear, uh, wasn't clear in terms. Uh, excuse me, the notion that they weren't clear in terms of the innocence of these young boys is, is laughable. They were very clear that the young boys were not guilty. They simply wanted to make an example of somebody. Those young boys were perfect. They were young African Hispanic. And so they were perfect. This was a young white banker, and so therefore she represented the criminal crime of white society. And so, so therefore, it was a perfect com- it was a tr- perfect combination uh, of things that contributed to those boys being com- being convicted. But understand, people should be very very clear on this was no fluke. There was no mistake. They knew those boys were innocent. They knew it. Uh, they all knew it. Um, so from the days from district attorney's office all the way down to the police state precincts. They knew those boys were innocent. So it's very clear that people understand that distinction. If I'm not mistaken, can y'all correct me? What Did one of them eventually, when they got out, end up committing suicide? Is that the same case? or that's a, I know there are a couple of cases out of New York. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a different case. That's that's Browder. Okay, that's that's Colleen Browder. Browder right. You're talking about okay. Browder. That's a different case. Yeah, that's a different case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. All right. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. We'll come back to you as well. Next, we're going to do Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, what's going on, your, going on in your world and the community? You know, Malcolm X once quipped, um, and I'm paraphrasing that people are being hoodwinked and bamboozled. We have to be mindful because especially within the last decade, culture is one of the main perpetrators of bamboozling and hoodwinking um, society. And I'm going to give another a number of examples. There was a show, or well, there was a um, documentary of sorts, if you want to call it that, called um, Black Godfather on Netflix regarding this Clarence Avon character. In regards to him, he was a guy that was considered an intimidative source that worked in the entertainment industry. And he basically was used to remind artists that they need to stay in line if they want to make a profit and not to do that, which can be considered to um, buck the system. And here it is, this guy who um, maintained this kind of enforcer role became famous and made a lot of money. But anytime anybody notable who knew him came across him, They'll say they didn't even know exactly what he did when they knew exactly what he did. His point was to break guards to make sure they fall in line, to go along with whatever the mainstream agenda was at that time. And then I'll give another example in terms of how culture is being used against us. Recently there was a bank um, which touts itself as the largest black-owned bank in the U.S., and it decided to put Harriet Tubman on a credit card. And a particular bank was called One United Bank. And there's question as to the gesture that Harry Tubman was performing. They said that was a gesture of love because she's the ultimate symbol of somebody that gave up everything to love, and we are to love one another. Now, given that Harriet Tubman fought to work against shadow enslavement, which was and still is the backbone of the economy and of capitalism in a Western context, why would they think there would be an honor to her legacy to put her on a credit card given the record number of debt that people find themselves in in this society and the damage that comes when people aren't able to pay back these, say, credit cards which can have astronomical interest rates? So what I want to say um, to... Good, Bobby. So what I'm asking and I'm saying is that at every turn, culture is a main vehicle that's being used to attack and denigrate us, and we cannot turn a blind eye to that. It's a clear agenda at play, and it even extends to um, when you look at certain instances in regards to um, derogatory things that have been said about Malcolm and um, Martin Luther King. So we got to realize this is something that is ongoing, and some of it is very overt, some of it is very slight, but it is clear it's something that they are um, working on over time. Thank you, Jabari. We also come back to that narrative. Right now, we can move on to Brother Moses. And Brother Moses, tell us, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, it's been an interesting week. I, the con man in chief of the White House uh, is looking out for his cronies that he appointed. He appointed, he surrounded himself with yes men. And he has a good old boys network going, and so you know, um, this week, I, you know, there was uh, some indictments and uh, um, I guess a court case, and he he's tweeting that it was, it was a miscarriage of justice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, looking out for his cronies who laugh at him and uh, punishing 
people who tell the truth about his administration. It's very, it's, it's, it's very clear that to anybody to see what's going on, that this current man is playing to his constituency, his, which is the white power structure, and uh, continuing to abuse the power of the White House. Meanwhile, in China, where there is a socialist-based economy, uh, the political economy is, is institutionalized with a socialist system of government, and it's a government of the people, and uh, it's guided by working-class ideology. And with this new outbreak of this disease, this, this uh, coronial or what? Uh, Corvette 19 or whatever they're calling it. Uh, uh, it's it's good that that they have a system of scientific socialism in place where they can deal with this kind of ca- catastrophe and and look out for the interests of the people. Uh, um, I know that China is not a perfect government, uh, uh, and uh, you know ever since I think around the 80s. Uh, 1980s or so, when the Gang of Four was purged, um, there is a there is a, uh, a viewpoint that says China, you know, is not doing everything it can to eliminate capitalism. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, its foundation and its government and its constitution and its institutions that have been built up for years since 1949 on a socialist basis of government of people and for people and and uh, not profit-driven. And so it's in a good position to deal with this this outbreak of uh, this, this disease. And uh, I don't know if, it, if uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting how, how, uh, uh, how is this plays out. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they find a cure. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you too, Brother Moses, if there is a cure. Um, these viruses, all of a sudden comes up and go away and pops up again and go away. It's very suspicious to me, uh, Pavis. What do y'all think about this coronavirus, how it's being presented? And just looking at the history of U.S. and its relationships with creation of viruses and destruction. What's y'all take on that, that phenomenon? Yeah, There's one thing we have to acknowledge. If nothing else, the way they propagandize and um, blown up what can, the ramifications of this particular um, illness, if nothing else, it's going to hurt certain aspects of the Chinese economy. Because one thing that China thrives off is they make a lot of money off of tourism and certain business exchanges that take place over the course of a year. So anytime you have something like this happening, that is going to be a direct impact. So if nothing else, it's clear that in certain sectors, there were certain um, efforts of destabilization going on by the way it's presented in terms of Western media. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I, I think that, you know, ever since, you know, um, you know, um, you know, when the, back in the, uh, in the, in the fifties and the sixties, when the the uh, cardiologist Walter Bassoon out of South Africa worked with the CIA to innovate you know various kind of uh, diseases like uh, um, uh, um, AIDS, um, 
and, and things like that. Ever since they, they've done that, I've always been rather suspicious in terms of the evolution of viruses. One of the things that's very, very clear, um, the West is desperate, particularly the United States, is desperate to take down China by any means necessary. And the reason I'm suspicious is that when you think about the, the origin of this coronavirus, people said initially they say it was a snake. Now they're saying it's a bat. Now so, again, you know, you have this kind of nebulous information coming out in terms of the origin, which leads me to believe that, you know, that uh, the real cause of the virus it has something to do other than, 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 than you know, some uh, mutation from, from animal DNA. So I think that we got to look at it in terms of the desperation of the West in terms of undermining China. So I think it plays a big part in terms of the, 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 terms of, uh, the, the evolution of the coronavirus. I think to a large extent uh, it compels China to expend an enormous amount of capital in terms of fighting this virus. So I think it's in the West's interest that, that, that China expands a lot of its wealth in terms of fighting this virus because it reduces its opportunity in terms of using that same capital to innovate or to insist others around the world in terms of developing infrastructure in their country. So I think that the West is particularly thrilled about the coronavirus, which henceforth explains why the West has been very, very adamant in terms of, you know, hyping up this whole coronavirus. But the reality is that when you talk about the, the destruction of, of coronavirus versus the destruction of the flu virus, the flu virus by far killed more people on a yearly basis than the coronavirus. But despite that, the Western media has been hyping up coronavirus. So clearly there's a political tent to what's going on. I think we got very, very, very clear on that point. And, but one thing I want to respond, and sort of the point, but I think I'm going to respond Brother Moses, I think um, China understands the significance in terms of socialism, but but China also utilizes a lot of capitalism. Uh, in terms of bureaucracy, I think is is socialist in the sense that you need to have a ruling body in terms of dictating, you know, you know, um, you know uh, how the institutions work together. You know how monies will flow and so forth and so on. So in that sense, it's, it's socialistic. But in terms of its tenants, in terms of, you know, uh, allowing, you know, certain individuals, small group of individuals to obtain billion-dollar status, they're also prevalent in China. And so I'm very concerned about that in terms of that propensity to exist in, in, in China. One thing the U.S. has been doing for a very, very long time, they've been trying to coerce China in terms of adopting a Western model. And I'm concerned as I listen to it, I look at, look at China's policies, particularly when you start talking about billionaires, China got more billionaires than they have in America, and I'm saying, assuming that's true, I'm, 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 I got to say that I'm, I'm a bit uh, disappointed in terms of you know, China's approach, in terms of bringing about a new paradigm. I do understand in terms of competing, one of the things you have to do in terms of competing with your adversary, you have to beat him by his own rules. So I do understand that because you have you have certain institutions in place, particularly economic in nature, in which you, to some extent you got to play ball with until you can innovate a new system. So that sense, you're sort of locked in in terms of competing with the with your adversary, on 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 on, on based upon his 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 rules of the game. I do understand that. So that's a tactical question, not and a strategic strategic question as well. And I understand that. But I'm certainly hoping China would you know put a bricks on in terms of the evolution of billionaires because billionaires tend to to undermine the development of the economic system. There shouldn't be all these billionaires. You in a land with so many people who are impoverished. That simply shouldn't exist. So I, I would really caution China in terms of, you know, uh, being very careful in terms of about allowing, you know, that kind of freedom. Because when you give them access to that kind of wealth, you also, by virtue of that kind of wealth, you give them an opportunity to undermine the very system which made that wealth 
possible in the first place. So I, I would admonish China to be very careful in terms of the pursuit of, of, of capitalism, particularly, you know, in this, in this time of ages, capitalism continues to wane. Thank you. Part of your Nazahaki, part of the other aspect of the analysis must be looked at in terms of even if, if, if they have those those billionaires, what is how much significant power would you they weigh in terms of being able to influence and dominate, you know, the overall economy. Yeah. so it's it's a it's a quantitative as well as a qualitative question. Um, no problem. So at this point in time what we're gonna do is we're gonna pause for this cause and when we come back we're going to continue, continue to discuss what's going on in our world and community, and we'd like to invite you, the audience, to call in at 323-679-0841. You'll listen to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. We're going to pause for this calls.
like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Today we'll be discussing deception and retooling for power. Before we go to that particular topic today, we would like to continue just a little bit longer on the sole issue or question of dealing with what's going on in our world and the community. We welcome you. If you have any views or thoughts, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. Brother Haki, you made a statement earlier talking about the influence of uh, the ship industry dealing with J.P. Morgan, and there have been some ships that have been stopped three times, and they found all kinds of money and drugs on it. But the kind of treatment they're getting is some kind of special treatment where they're not being viewed as breaking kind of laws of violation. Now, I'm just wondering, when I heard you talk about that, if someone hear that, is there any hope of stopping this type of corruption with the drug trade? Is it just too much out of control that there's no way of, of um, stopping and fighting it? It's a very interesting question you raised, uh, Brother Africa. One of the things I think we have to begin to understand is that when we talk about American society, we're not talking about democracy. We talk about a kleptocracy. A kleptocracy is, is a government run by criminals. And so since you've got a criminal enterprise, in fact, uh, existing, uh, the question is how can you impact in a criminal enterprise? Since criminals by nature are sociopathic, uh, the, in terms of impact on them, in terms of morality or right and wrong, obviously it's not a winning formula. They're not likely to listen to you. Superimposed upon this notion in terms is all about money, that nothing matters in life except money. Well, I mean, when you run into that kind of mindset where nothing, nothing has any value except money, then there's very much what you can do in terms of really impacting on them. The only thing you can realistically do is that you have to form it as much power as you possibly can to adequately compete against them. So I think the solution is power. Uh, you got over 100 million people in American society who, who don't vote. Now, of course, voting is not the solution, but certain voting, voting certainly could contribute to the idea that if people work together, you can fundamentally change things. Now, I'm not saying voting is going to a cure-all. Of course, it's not a cure-all. It's not a panacea by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm thinking just in terms of symbolism that if people can begin to understand the importance in terms of working together, then that working together increase your power, give the opportunity to change a lot of stuff. Because if you don't come with power, then there's something going to change. And the only thing that's threatening them in terms of power is taking away their power. So who is the basis of who, who provides the power? Who, who supports them? Who's making it possible for this criminal class to do what they're doing? By and large, it's the politicians. And so, therefore, we have to do something in terms of taking the power from politicians. So if they don't want to play that by rules of the game in terms of doing what the masses of the people want, then you eliminate them. That has more in, influence among, to them than anything else. Because once you take away that status, you take away the money, and so therefore they want to be, they want to, they want to participate as politicians. So I think it's one of the things we can do. Corporations, what can we do? Corporations also play a big part in terms of propping up the most the criminal class in the society. What do you do in terms of impacting on corporations? Well, of course, the other thing is the bottom line. That's the only thing they care about, the bottom line. Well, what can we do in terms of undermining the bottom line to compel them to at least usher in? Some remedies, some kind, some kind of change that is good for the masses of people or humanity. What can we do? Well, certainly boycotting them strategically in terms of just not buying their products certainly one way to get their attention, but it has to be sustained. I like what the Yellow Vests are doing in, in, uh, in France in terms of the, the collective movement and large-scale support that they enjoy in, 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 in France in terms of 
you know, and, you know, actually, you know, uh, identifying the problem as a power structure in terms of the policies that endows and how those policies adversely impact on the well-being of the people. I like that. We also need a similar situation here in, in, in America. But the question is, in America, how do we overcome the racism, the class divide, um, you know, the, 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 the gender divide in terms of coming together to fundamentally understand that our problem is the, the, the power structure, is the ruling elite. They are the problem. How do we get people to come to that realization? We got a we got a vast propaganda machine, a very intensive, very intense propaganda machine, which is very good in terms of deceiving people. So therefore, for us in terms of trying to get that convey that message that we need to work together in terms of overthrowing this insanity, it's a very it's a very tough nut to, to crack. But I, I'm I'm confident that with given time and as the situation deteriorates, more and more people will be compelled to understand. That without some unity working together to overthrow this insanity, then we're all in trouble. So I'm 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 confident, uh, based upon history, that 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 is the case, and that's exactly what will happen. If not in a lifetime, at some point in the near in, in the future. So I think those are things that we have to do in terms of you know adequately impacted on uh, some kind of change to bring about total change, brother Africa. Anything short of real revolution is not going to bring about total change, but to the extent that it at least can make it unbearable for humanity. If we can have some remedial changes, uh, with some reform in terms of um, you know more positively impacting on 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 humanity, will be in humanity's best interest. But those are things that we can do in terms of at least trying to to bring some semblance of humanity, you know, to the system. And brother Anthony, um, you talk about the role of the police in the society and how they have been given immunity to. Um, not being able to do no wrong. You talk about how they hit this SUV and end up killing a young child, but yet they charge the mother with the crime. I guess the question I have for you, my panelists, is a question around at what point do we have a serious discussion as relates to the sole question of how much power do we really want to give the police as, as it relates to how just how they view people? Because if they have cop lunch where they can do anything, and they uh, have immunity, then it says something about how you see your citizenship, your citizens of this country. So the question becomes, you know, is there a need, is there a need now to really begin to address how much power we really want these these um, officers have as they go out so-called performing their duty? Just your general take on that. Um. I concur with all the points Haki mentioned, and uh, even in terms of in response to the issue of police power, uh, it would it's going to take the people organized in order to bring that change about. Uh, we have to create a society in which uh, police behavior is regulated by the people not by the ruling class. And uh, right now, and that's going to take a transformation uh, of society, which the masses aren't sufficiently organized to bring about, at least inside the U.S. anyway. But there are signs that people want change. But, uh, you know, but uh, how to go about it. And also you ha- the, uh, people are being pushed in all kinds of uh, uh, directions because of capitalist propaganda. 
but it's going to take two things, I think, in order to bring fundamental change about to to, to limit uh, to regulate police. One, political education of the masses of the people and their political organization. We have uh the days uh the days are long gone since people uh, since individuals ca- uh can afford to, to, to continue to be disorganized uh it is very is incumbent upon every individual in the working class to join a, a, an organization that is working for people's liberation and uh and i think that's key and 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 Haki is correct. The only thing the capitalists understand or respect is power. And, uh, and and the only way the workers can get power is through permanent organization. And all those uh, and even the reforms, uh, you know that that we that we're, uh, we're struggling for uh, for is going to take uh, organization of the people to bring that about. And brothers and Bobby, we talk about this question of culture and how it can be used or or it being used as a means to um undermine the interests of our communities. Um, I'd like to ask you your opinion and how other people may feel when you talk about hair tumbling, use hair tumbling as a symbol for put on some kind of um currency. Uh, one of the things I understand with this particular uh artwork for her tumbling they put it in a position of being 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 viewed as trying to symbolize or display the what the Wakanda um the Wakano what's the word for it? Salute the, or whatever. Salute Wakanda yeah, salute. Yeah. Right. Um what you make of what you think that was all about? Or how you view that? In terms of how they take a historical character well, and put her in a totally different time zone and et cetera, et cetera. In response to the Wakanda salute um, gesture, they said that they were trying to show a symbol of love, and she was the ultimate symbol of love, and it's important that we love each other. That was the excuse they made. But the thing is, even if that wasn't to be the reality, the fact that it could be interpreted that way shows you just how people resonate with culture and how quickly people associated that with what was one of the most popular movies last year, and they're approaching um, a sequel that I'm sure would do very well financially as well. So you got to understand they try to do things to get certain images in our mind. And speaking of that, we got to remember one of the things as we discussed before with Pro- Black Panther that was problematic is why is it that all of a sudden you saw this Caesar Borgias figure at the end of the movie with a black family all of a sudden as if like he was playing the role of the day? What is that about? We talking about this whole idea of how culture can be used to um, denigrate, confuse, and um, keep us off kilter. Yeah, Javari, the last point you mentioned, I thought it would be interesting. Most people miss it with the point you just made about if you look at the end of that film and you saw how the future African family would, would be viewed, they had, you know, the woman and the children were African, but the man was European in Africa. I wonder what kind of symbolism did people catch uh, from that when they saw this is what the future of the Africa would look like. 
um, panelists, which which y'all make about make of that particular symbolism? If y'all saw the movie, did y'all catch that particular point? I thought that was really interesting in terms of how it went off with that being the last thing that you saw in terms of a future Africa. Well, I didn't. I didn't see this. Go ahead, Anthony. Now I was yeah, well, I didn't, I, I didn't I, see I, the movie, uh, but let me just respond to the whole sister, question around um, Harry Tubman, Sister Harry Tubman, in the Wakanda salute. Uh, one of the things that one of the real problems, one of the real difficulties we have in terms of trying to win struggle, is that often we don't understand the correlation between the conscious and the unconscious. You know, when we talk consciously, we are aware of what we're saying and what we're doing, but unconsciously we do things unnecessarily understanding why we're doing what we're doing. So one of the problems in terms of you talk about a historical figure like um, Harriet Tubman, one of the things is that the thing that she did was extraordinary. Here's a woman uh, during a time in which the oppression of women was great, took upon herself, you know, put her life at risk to free her, you know, her, her, her fellow brothers and sisters. That speaks values in terms of her greatness. And that alone speaks values in terms of her greatness. There's nothing you can do to embellish that imagery. Just her picture alone uh, 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 connotes, you know, bravery, Sacrifice, uh, uh, daring. So there's no question about that. So by using that Rokanda salute, what, what you're doing is trying to trivialize, and in other words, not understanding that what they're trying to do is make her image more palatable to to others who may not appreciate her historical significance. So I have a real problem with that. And keep in mind that we're, we're talking about African people who are doing this. It's not that they are being not that they're being you know negative toward Harriet Tubman is that they really don't understand the significance or the impact in terms of imagery. They really don't understand. And unconsciously, one of the things that we got to overcome is that there's this tendency in the society, in American society, we want to appease white folks because we're conditioned to think that, you know, we, if white folks are not happy, then there's a problem. And so I think unconsciously we do that. We're not necessarily understanding that our motivations are for, for doing something like that has more to do with appeasing white folks than it has to do in terms of standing up for a noble history. Uh, of of her retirement. So I think that is a fundamental problem in terms of doing something like that because she on her own stands for greatness. And so she don't need the Wakanda symbol. Wakanda is an imaginary tale that somebody concocted, you know, uh, in terms of the potential uh, uh, for, for Africa in terms of its development. And that's fine. But in terms of concretely doing brave things, uh, you know, setting an example for future generations. Her Tubman epitomizes all of that, and so therefore she doesn't need any any props in terms of propping her up. Her greatness stands on its own. So I think that's one of the problems we we we, we have to understand in terms of the whole conscious versus unconscious. So I think for a lot of us, unconsciously, one of the reasons why it's so difficult in terms of getting off from under oppression is that subconsciously a lot of us really believe that in fact we are inferior, that other people are superior, and so therefore it. It mitigates our actions because we really think that without acknowledging to ourselves that we think that we inf- that we think we inferior. So unless we do something in terms of impact that unconsciousness, uh, then it's going to always be there. And so that's a fundamental problem we have in terms of what they did in terms of the picture of uh, Harry Tubman. Mm-hmm. I want to add that uh, that that scene with, uh, toward the end of the movie uh, Black Panther, which I which I, I, I missed probably because it was rather brief, but I think it symbolizes uh, uh, the European effort to subjugate Africa. 
through uh you know through um you know uh uh uh, uh you know uh exploiting our culture and uh, you know and trying to eliminate the african uh uh you know male and also and also uh you know a divide and conquer tactic that have uh, men pitted against women so i see that in there and again that's a, a symbol a subtle symbolism of how they try to wage cultural warfare against us And Brother Moses, we look at the behavior of Donald Trump, and he's using his so-called presidential powers to just pardon people, in regardless of dealing with justice and truth. What you make up his abuse of power? And I like to hear the panel response to this, because it seems like to me when you look at how he's performing, crime pays. Right. Well, he's he's. First of all, he's a con man. His his whole his whole thing is based upon getting your confidence, winning your confidence, and then he does whatever he wants to do. And uh, he's obviously sold sold that that cow to the American public. And uh, yeah, somehow he's in office. And uh, yeah, I mean, Hitler was a, Hitler was real. I don't know. Somehow these people get in there, and it's amazing to me how people can be so gullible. I just it just amazes me. Uh, but I don't know. I I, I just want to say uh, one of our demands for the police is that they should have body cams. The police should have body cams because we we have to be have some way of 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 of, of viewing getting through the lies that they tell. And uh, you know that's not the ultimate solution, maybe, but but that's definitely part of the process. Harriet Tubman was a revolutionary; she served the people, and that's the highest aspiration of a revolution is to serve the people, and uh, and that's what that's what uh, putting people before profit is all about. Thank you. Uh, I would I would add. Uh, in terms of um, Trump, I think he feels emboldened since uh, the Senate voted against his removal from office, and uh, you know, and uh, he's and the thing by and in terms of how he got into office, he appealed to to the sentiments of a lot of Europeans, not all Europeans, but quite a few of them, enough to give him. A majority in certain states, uh, large enough for him to be able to win the electoral college vote. And it should be pointed out, if people don't aren't aware, uh, the people do not elect the U.S. president directly. It's elected by the electoral college. In other words, some representatives. Uh, you know, choose who the president of the U.S. is. Uh, you might recall uh, from time to time, uh, let's see, uh, the U.S. makes all this hullabaloo about uh, democracy and having free and fair elections. Well, the thing about it, though, uh, the U- in the U.S., 
the top leadership is not selected by the people. Even they don't even choose the candidates. It's the uh, ruling duopoly that chooses the candidates, and from there, uh, people are asked to make a selection as who would be uh, uh, who who who, the, who their leadership would be. Yeah, but you know you can't you know you can't really understand uh, you can't appreciate who who, who the orange minister is. We understand the system system in its entirety. One of the things you got to understand when we talk about political organization and society, we understand that the one percent of the population has the ultimate in terms of political organization. They're very organized, and so therefore they plan decades in advance, and so they understand that someone like the orange minister serves their interests in terms of power, and so it's not a mystery that he can do what he does. I mean, you, you talk and think about it. He was supposedly doing something that's inappropriate in terms of pressuring, you know, foreign government to investigate a a a a, a candidate uh, for the president of the United States. But what about the more the more clause where he actually is getting rich in office? This guy actually has the destiny to 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 build a government for you know his facilities uh, to get to make money. This is absurd, but it's nothing that he can't do because those are the people in position of power that one percent understands that you know his interest is their interest. And so it's all about the money. It's not about anything else. And his, the mere fact that he's able to con people speaks volumes in terms of the 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 um, the the the, the, um, the pervasiveness, you know, of, of of racism in American society. Because here it is, you got the disproportionate number of poor of poor white folks who actually think this guy is a savior, even though you know he's a populist of sort. Because he's been telling these people, you know, if you vote for me. Um, you know, we're gonna go after the elites. We're gonna end war. We're gonna, we're gonna, we, you know, we're gonna give you jobs. We're gonna make it better for you. You know, it's gonna be like it used to be. You know, blah blah blah, a long time ago, which of course never existed. But he's telling them that. And the mere fact that, despite all the things that he said, he turned around to the exact opposite, and these people still support him. You got, you got, you got to. You, 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 at some point, you have to acknowledge the pervasiveness of racism and, and shake your head and say, "Damn, what does it take for people to realize that you're being played?" Well, they don't, and of course the middle class love them because their perception is that you know, you know, if he's gonna make America great, I mean that means I'm secure in my position in terms of being the middle class, and those others who vibe to be middle class, the doors are closed to them, and so therefore I'm happy to support someone who would prop me up at the expense of all others, and so he's a, he's a masterful con person. That's no question about that. He's masterful in terms of being a con man, but he can only do it in 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 in, in, a, in a relative sense. When we talk about him in conjunction with a system that exists around him that empowers him to do what he does, so we should make no mistake about that. And as far as the electoral college is concerned, one of the things you know, you, and Anthony's right when they talk about one man one vote, it's a joke. Uh, one of the things you talk about electoral college, the very reason electoral college was designed is to make sure poor people don't don't select a president who actually do what they want him to do. That is the idea behind electoral college. And so, therefore, you have these organized interests determining who becomes president of the United States because the person who becomes president of the United States is a person who represents the organized interest. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. Barack Obama was the same thing. He was just more secretive about it. He was just more clever. So he was able to bullshit people, you know, in terms of elegance. So he could, you know, he was very elegant. 
know, he was very elegant. He could he could deceive people. He could say he could say the same thing that Orange Bennett say, but he could say it in a way in which people would totally dismiss it or simply you know sum it up to to be something that it isn't. But the essence is that policies were the same, and so therefore you know it doesn't matter what the color of their skin in terms of that presidency. All of them serve the interests of the ruling class, and as we talk about fascism, increasingly they serve the interests of corporations, and there's no question about it. When we talk about who runs American society. At this point, I'm hoping most people realize that corporations run America. If they don't realize that, then they need to go back to the drawing board and research and, 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 and find out just why corporations run America. So I think the Orange Menace, Orange Menace is pretty much um, uh, part and parcel you know, of how the game is played in American society. So it's coming upon people to educate themselves to understand how this game is played. Because if they don't understand how this game is played, one thing is sure. His 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 brand of popularism uh, is going to not only uh, alienate lots and lots of people, but it's going to contribute greatly to the to the racial and class divide in society. So civil war becomes more much more inevitable, you know, under his leadership. And this is the real danger that I keep trying to get African people to understand. I know they believe that you know uh, you know it's a democracy, and they believe that if you just you know vote for the right person, it's going to be all right, and that America could never do no wrong. I understand all of that. But the reality is, when you talk about the dynamics and as it relates to politics in America, we have to understand that what he does is is all geared toward civil war, and people don't get that. The ruling class understand that. They know damn well what he's doing. They understand what he's doing. They appreciate what he's doing, and they support what he's doing. But the masses of people in society don't understand the implications of his policies and things that comes out of his face. This is a real danger that African people face in society. So if we don't understand what what the, what the reality is in terms of what he's saying and what he's doing, then when the stuff hits the fan, we'll be ill-equipped to even respond. So we better wake up and understand this is deadly serious, what's going on in society. And panelists, on that note, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this cause. When we come back, we're going to deal with that theme tonight, deception and retooling for power. And we have selected a group of articles that will we, that will speak to this theme. The first article will be on France and Germany propose an EU overhaul after Britain's. We're going to talk about that, and we'd like for our listening audience to join us by calling three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. So we can pause for our calls, and we'll be right back. And you are listening to Africa. On the move. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state. And you, well, you know, you've got to have the police because. Thank 
you know how we think Organize the hood under our chain banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I take a slug for the cause like Huey P While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live, able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help We do for self like ants in a colony Organize the wealth into a socialist economy A way of life based off the common needs And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed The black male Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough no more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in their back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring black. Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You have this black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state conference 
on the future of Europe to make EU more united and sovereign. France and Germany set aside a bilateral tensions Tuesday to call for a European Union overhaul, which has been embroiled for the past 10 years in a Eurozone debt crisis and influx of immigrants and refugees and more recent the basic Brexit. That's you. That's that's the concept of um, England leaving the concept of a European Union for those who understand that terminology. So when I read the article, uh, panelists, and look at the article, it put me in the state of mind of looking at history, where it seemed like we have seen this play before. That was during the conference called the Berlin Conference back in 1884-85 by the European countries. All again is sitting around some of the same problems that they have in, that they had back then today. Um, Brother Anthony, you can start us off. Why do you think that's a significant call for Europeans in themselves to have a conference again around the, their safe their safe safetyness in, turn, in order in, in terms of being in, in, in not only in standard power but having existence? They call it that they must begin to work more as a closer unit. What does this, this particular act um, um, create for the interest in the well-being of the rest of the world, from your perspective? Actually, it, it, it uh, is fraught with danger for the rest of the world, mainly because, um, because imperialism is going to intensify its domination over central South America, the Caribbean, and Africa. Uh, and uh, what what this is about is about Europe restructuring itself so that it can remain a remain a superpower. Actually, with the with Britain leaving the European Union, that's why it's called Brexit because uh, means British exit. You know, the Britain uh, leaving the union. And also is uh, is causing a, a crisis in in, uh, in imperialism in a sense because uh, the components of of uh, Britain, uh, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Well, let's see. Well, Scotland in particular wants to stay in the European Union. So uh, this uh, uh, the, you have a situation in which uh, Britain. Which has uh, dominated uh, uh, Scotland and uh, Wales for so long, uh, several centuries, you know, might be falling apart, and uh, so that would be uh, a weakening of um, you know the uh, capitalist powers in the world, so to speak. And also, uh, what didn't exist uh, during the 19th century at the time of the Berlin Conference was the heavy influx of refugees and migrants into Europe coming from Africa and Asia. And that was caused by the ravages to Asia and Africa that that took place under uh, imperialism dominated by the capitalist countries of Europe and North America. And so I see this as, uh, as uh, an attempt to maintain Europe's dominance in the world, but it's being shaken by um, 
by developments in uh, Russia, China, and uh, and uh, the U.S. So they so they feel the need to strengthen their unity in order to be able to keep compete with those uh, world powers. Brother Hackey, they talk about one of the motivation for them restructuring EU is sit around over a new um, economic and security challenge as relates to China. Break that down for our people. How does China threaten the, the European powers to be as relates to a new order, economic order? Well, let me just for just say that. Let me first start by saying that the split between Europe and America is a philosophical one. The European position is that they don't have a problem in terms of imperialism. It's just they want a more benevolent kind of imperialism, a much softer kind of imperialism. Whereas America has more blunt kind of imperialism. And the, and the Europe position is that that blunt kind of imperialism is going to undermine our interests. As more and more, you know, uh, uh, people of color around the world. Uh, peak what's going on, that they're going to resent that and they're going to fight against it. So therefore, they encourage the U.S. to calm down in terms of the approach in terms of practicing imperialism. Well, the U.S. position is that, hell no, we're not going to stop being blunt in terms of imperialism. We always use it as a heavy hand in terms of imperialism. We're not going to stop doing that. And as a consequence, that's, that became a, a, a because, of, because of the Europe stand, it became a real problem for, for the Powers that be now. Secretary of State Pompeo was very, very clear in terms of the opposition, or the problems he have in terms of Europe. Europe stand. He had particular problems with Germany and France in terms of the stand they're taking. The both countries have been very, very adamant in terms of you know a strengthening of the European Union. You know to compete with America. That doesn't bode well in terms of the American mindset. The American psyche said, "Listen, we run this thing. We run the world." And for you to even advocate such a thing is, 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 is something that we can't con- we, we're not going to contend with. And so as a consequence, what's happening is that there's big push in terms of innovating weaponry in outer space. That weaponry is not simply for domination of people of color around the world, so-called third nations, but it's also to threaten Europe per se. And so they got this, this real vicious, uh, vicious war behind the scenes uh, that's going on that's taking place between the European Union in America, in which you know, nobody wants to talk about, but nonetheless, the vicious are uh, nonetheless. Uh, I think as it relates to China, one of the things you have to understand is that China has been doing a lot in terms of going around the world, investing in, in, in infrastructure around the world, particularly Africa. Now, these Chinese investments in infrastructure, particularly when it comes to Africa, undermines the interests of America. And so one of the things they don't want is a strong and a strong economic economical Africa. That's one of the things they don't want. And so China threatens to undermine that, 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 that idea by actually improving Africa's infrastructure. And so, therefore, Af- China becomes the arch enemy. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo is very clear. Uh, the Orange Minutes is very, very clear that China's number one in terms, of, in terms of its adversaries. And so, therefore, so when we talk about this war in terms of Europe and the United States, we, we better understand one thing. That as they relate to Africa, nothing fundamentally is going to change. Africa still is going to have to have to unite. Africa is still going to have to have its own central bank. Africa is still going to have to be in position to set its price for its commodities. Because anything short of that, uh, if Africa attempts to do anything unilaterally, state by state, it's going to fail. And the history is very, very clear on that point. So this dispute between the U.S. and Europe is of no, no consequences as it relates to what's going on in Africa. Because the oppression as related to Africa will continue, 
or it's just a question whether it's going to be a softer kind of oppression or more rugged kind of oppression. So I think that um, we have to understand that this 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 this, this, this fight uh, is not going to be a, any real consequence, any benefit to Africa. You know, Brother Moses, I don't see too much difference between the issues that are confronting the European Union and confronting America as it relates to this whole question of uh, dealing with inequality, this whole question of uh, rule of law, and particularly this whole question when you talk about immigrants. The two seem to be sharing the same history. What do you take from this article that people need to be well, Brother Moses? Yeah, I think that's correct. The viewpoint, huh? The the problems are are the same, more or less, in e- in each 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 country. In each one of these countries, uh, the U.S. has got the xenophobia, like the like the Europeans are starting have been showing their uh, anti-immigrant, uh, uh, and and obviously, you know, the the orange menaces. That's this whole thing. I mean, they're invading us. They're, you know, it's over. We're being overrun by by immigrants, and uh, it's got to put up walls. And you know, so the Europeans are, are have some of that kind of mentality going. Uh, racism is has no borders. You know, the working international working class shouldn't have any borders because the bourgeoisie has no borders. They 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 send their capital around the world when they can't make money in one place, they take it to another place. And so we have to have an international uh, world movement that uh, that that counter count that, that counters the the moves of the imperialists. Uh, and uh, I don't know this the 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 Brexit. I you know I Britain. I'm not sure if it's in their if it's in their best interest to exit that uh, uh, European Union. Uh, it's not clear to me. It seems like it would be in their interest to stay, but you know, it reminds me of this the un the union in in uh, what is that Nevada? I guess the culinary union that didn't endorse a a, a candidate for the Democratic primary or whatever, and. Uh, but interestingly enough, they they are against uh, um, universal health care because they have a negotiated a health care system uh, uh, package for their union, and uh, and so the the union is against universal health care because they don't want to give up or threaten or impede or or whatever uh, their package that they have negotiated. And that it just shows that they said a board off aristocracy of un in the union that um puts the puts selfish interests above the interests of the overall masses of people. And, you know, it's a mentality that, you know, I think that Great Britain is explaining too. Thank you. Also about Africa. One thing yeah, one thing, let me real quick. Let me just run real quick about Africa. Uh, the economic challenges that that's probably responsible for the uh, conflict between the European Union and America. One of the things recently, you know, uh, Russia's been a, uh, doing a hell of a job in terms of um, discovery of gas, in terms of creating, you know, uh, pipelines, bridgeways, in terms of selling that gas at a relatively very cheap rate. 
uh, that comes to the real threat as far as Europe is concerned, because Europe understands that that cheap gas is precisely what they need. You know, in terms of servicing the infrastructure, they need the cheap gas. Uh, the U.S. position is that no, 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 no. Russia is an adversary, and so therefore you do not you do not buy that cheap gas. And so it's creating a split because your position is this: we have a population to feed, to house, to educate. Unlike America, where you can deceive your people, you have a mass propaganda machine, you can deceive your people very, very easily. You can exploit them, and they don't even have a clue that you've been exploited. In Europe, it's a different paradigm in which they understand the, 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 the nature of exploitation. So, they under, so most Europeans understand the history of European history. They understand the history of kings in terms of how they exploit the serfs. They understand that. And so they have a much more sensitivity in terms of being exploited than America. So with that consciousness, they have an obligation. The European leadership have an obligation to provide for its people. Well, one of the ways which you provide for their people is cheap gas, you, which provides the needs of the infrastructure to make sure that you have opportunity to have a social safety net, to give people jobs, to make sure things move, move run smoothly. So that's that's the source of conflict. In addition to that, then you have a situation in terms of like 5G, where you have China being a leading innovator in terms of 5G technology. Well, of course, the U.S. is adamantly opposed to that because their position is that, listen, China is an adversary. Why would you want them to have a, a 5G, set up 5G network in your nation? They're only going to use it to, to abuse your political process. And their position is that, listen, we have technicians. You know, we know how to monitor the Internet. You know, we, we, we understand, you know, uh, how 5G works. And so, therefore, we, we, if, if, if anybody tried to, tamp, try to try to disrupt our politics, we know how to deal with that. It's not an issue. 5G is important in terms of facilitating business, and so therefore we want it. And it's going to be done at a relatively cheap price. Well, the U.S. position is that I don't give a damn how cheap it is. Bottom line is you're dealing with China, which is an adversary. And so therefore that's a source of conflict, a source of friction between the U.S. and Europe, because your position is very, very clear. We can no longer continue. We're under tremendous pressure from our populations to do something in terms of, you know, the, 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 in, the, in, the injustices that inflict our societies, the inequalities that permeate these societies, uh, is bulging at the seams. And so you're being believers that we got to do something, because if we don't do something, you know what, we're going to have revolution in our hands. Well, American position is that, well, we're not worried about revolution at this point, because, you know, we got our population under check. We got them under control. They don't know anything. They only know what we tell them. And so, therefore, they don't even know that they've been exploited. They think everything is fine. And so, therefore, American position is that to the European leaders, why can't you do that to your population? And to some extent, European leaders have adopted a similar, a similar kind of political strategy in terms of the popping up right-wing, you know, dictate right-wing uh, individuals, you know, in Europe, in Italy, um, in, 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 in Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's quite a few places in the, in the, in the so-called um, um, the region with Yugoslavia, Ukraine, and all that region. What, what, do you, what do you call that region? The um, the, the, Balk, the Balkans. Balkans, yeah. The Balkans, mm-hmm. the yeah. Balkans yeah. yes. That's that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit of these right wing individuals who are taking a page from the U.S. in terms of, in order to maintain control. Then you got to stir up as much antagonism as possible. If you can pit immigrants against, I mean, if you can pit the native population against immigrants, that's good. That's good. That allows you the opportunity, the flexibility to actually do a better job in terms of justifying the oppression of, of your people if people are fighting one another because they don't even see that the problem is the ruling class, they continue to fight each other. So that's a strategy right of the Book of America. And so throughout Europe you find this, this happening. So clearly the philosophical divide that exists between Europe uh, and, and, and America has a lot to do in terms of economics. 
And so, therefore, I think when you talk about economics, the reality is that uh, in, in that sense, uh, that's more compelling reason why the European Union must must work together in terms of, you know, um, you know, preventing the U.S. from imposing its will on Europe. But one other thing I want to say about Brexit. Uh, uh, one thing we understand, I, I, I like the move. I like it not so much not so much uh, because of its political implications. I like it because it's going to undermine the U.K.'s ability to contribute to NATO. NATO, of course, is the military wing of the Western world for the sole purpose of plundering nations around the world. And so one of the things the United States does is, is, ad, is very adamant about, you know, European nations providing funds for NATO. Well, when, well by, by England leaving the, the European Union, it means that they're no longer compelled to go by European Union rules in terms of contributing to NATO, which means that I anticipate there'll be less money going to NATO, if, if in at all, uh, you know, uh, once, the, once the thing is finally concluded. So for that reason, I like it. But from an economic point of view, it's insanity. Because one of the things, if they think for one second that by having trade with the United States, that somehow their political problems or their economic problems will be resolved, then, they, then obviously they haven't been keeping up with economic reality in terms of the world. So in event, so I'm rooting for the European Union, you know, just as a counterbalance uh, to the U.S. to make it possible for Africa, you know, to, you know, to, to maintain uh, or to at least uh, to strive, you know, for some type of unif- some kind of uh, unification. You know, one interesting article or point that came from this article I'd like to give maybe Moses and Brother Barbie respond to is the question of the people inside of these nations in EU as well as U.S. They no longer feel like they are being heard and part of this process. And then they, they want to address how do we get the people more involved, have more more of a say. For example, they're talking about this whole question around when they're making decisions now it got to be more of a bottom-up uh, uh, um, process than top-down. What do y'all make up that that um, issue, that observation, Brother Jabari Moses, in terms of you are saying this, this crisis is based upon or come from one aspect of not properly including the masses of people in their ranks? Let's start, Brother Jabari. When I hear those words, I feel like that's just an empty promise because when this whole concept of a European Union was formed anyway, it was not formed to have all of Europe in context. It was formed to have a way for the elites to maintain some type of defense mechanism in the event that their interests would come under attack. They could have a unified front to deal with whatever that attack was. So for the fact now that all of a sudden when things are in crisis, they say they want to have the um, input of the people, that to me that's just clearly propaganda, and that's just something to deflect the negative attention as it's on um, very fragile ground in terms of if it's going to implode on that. Good, good observation, Jabari. Brother Moses, your response? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think, you know, the the – the the big capitalists uh, um, are making the decisions and uh, and using their propaganda machines, the newspapers, and television, and everything to uh, convince people 
to go their way and uh you know this whole idea of that somehow there's gonna be a ground up. I mean, I don't know I mean that's always I mean everybody, you know, any organizer or whatever, I mean, you know, ideally and uh ideologically, you know, in terms of non oppression and liberation uh ideas you know the 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 ideal is to get a grassroots movement going. I mean, Bernie Sanders, anybody who, you know, that's always the the propaganda and the, the rhetoric. But uh, it's easier said than done. And I don't know that that um, the European Union is genuinely interested in that. At least uh, I don't think the, the capitalists who are really in control of the government are interested in any really ground movement. Uh, that's, that's never been their way. Thank um, you. Brother Africa, can I add another comment, please? The mic is yours. Let me just also tell our listening audience, this is proof positive that in capitalism, there is no such thing as permanent alliances. It's only permanent entry. Whatever is going to make you the quick, the most amount of money in the quickest amount of time is what you're going to be loyal to. So it made profits for the elite for a while, but we're going to really see if they really were in these certain um, sturdy alliances if this does implode. Just something to think about. And to add to your point, Jabari, just by the nature of, if you look at it, the two leading countries, Germany and France, who really historically has always been at odds with each other, at war with each other. Just by the nature, they dominate the agenda. Again, that's seeding um, jealousy among other European countries. And that's another reason I think Brother Kwame Ture was right when he made a statement that, when he made the statement that Africa would get its unification way before Europe would get theirs. So I find that this article is interesting, but also it's interesting because if we don't pay attention to history, there seems to be the same kind of um, climate being created at this time that were created for the basis of Europe causing and developing the first two world wars. You know, if it's not resolved sometime in the future, we can look at the possibility of here it will create, play another major role or create another third world war. And we need to understand that. So, panelists, any other final thoughts on this article before we move forward? And to our listening audience, those who like to share their views and their perspectives on what we're discussing, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841, and please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four number. Just hit 1 if you're on our board, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So, panelists, any other final thoughts on this particular um, question of you being addressing the issue of only a conference for a reconsideration to rebound and be stronger EU? Uh, as a, uh, as a, uh, my final thought on this article is that, um, you know, as a friend of mine pointed out to me, the world is on fire right now. Uh, let's see, uh, the masses in Europeans are fired up, uh, uh, fired up all over Europe over their concerns not being addressed. Uh, that's why you have the yellow vessel movement going on in France, for example, and uh with the uh the incursion of uh of migrants from various parts of Asia and uh Africa is putting a strain on Europe's resources. 
but it was the exploitation of African Asia by Europe that caused the situation that people are seeking, uh, you, uh, you, you know, a better way of life in Europe. Uh, you, you know uh, that 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 calls it uh, this to take place. So that's what you see happening is that colonialism is coming back to bite Europe uh, indirectly, and uh, it's gonna and and, and it's gonna get worse until until uh, Africans uh, in the diaspora and at home unite and uh, achieve Pan Africanism. And you know we can't, you know we can't underscore enough the role U.S. intelligence and uh, so-called um, um, I forgot what they call the um, the the the, uh, the little informal organizations that exist. Uh, we can't underestimate enough uh, the role that they play in terms of making sure that this kind of uh, hatred or this kind of conflict between the native uh, populations. In the immigrant populations, uh, uh, understanding that in facilitating as much confusion as possible, they understand that at least they believe that it's in their best interest to do so. Uh, it's good if people are clear thinking and understand, you know, that a lot of people are there not because they want to be in Europe or in America, but they're there simply because, as Brother Evan alluded to, that the imperialists create the conditions which compel a lot of them to actually leave their country. They don't want to leave their countries, but they don't have any choice. And so they leave their countries thinking that perhaps they can find a better uh, livelihood, you know, in the West. So clearly, you know, uh, this kind of um, uh, Viet, um, uh, Viet um, kind of uh, antagonism between the native populations and immigrants will continue. And as I said before, you know, the West position is that uh, the more the more conflict, the better. But we have to understand that the U.S. plays a big role in terms of facilitating this conflict throughout the world. And on that note, we're going to pause for this cause. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion as late to our themes tonight, dealing with deception and retooling for power. We're going to talk about something very interesting in terms of dealing with heat islands, racist housing policies in the U.S. likely to daily heat wave exposure. Did y'all know that the way they create certain communities are designed for it? to have greater heat waves than others and cause the alarming weight of death that most people are not aware of. And if you don't know, we can dis- discuss that when we come back. you listen to Africa on the Move. We're going to pause for this cause. Stand up for your right. 
including hurricanes, tornadoes, and flooding, according to the CDC, Centers for Disease Control. And the heat waves have been more frequent uh, since the 20th century. And, uh, and, uh, and it's caused by the fact that there's certain surfaces that retain heat more than others. In areas that have more green spaces, uh, like uh, parks, uh, gardens, etc., cetera, uh, heat, is, uh, heat dissipates uh, more rapidly than in areas where, uh, where, where uh, that, that is made of a fast-falling concrete, which, tends to, which tend to absorb heat. That's why within the same city, uh, the temperature can vary as much as 20 degrees uh, during, uh, during the summer months. And, uh, and, and people who live in areas uh, where there's less green space, fewer trees, et cetera, they, uh, they're more prone to, to, to suffer from heat-related illnesses because of that. And uh, and actually, uh, the root of this problem goes back to the early part of the 20th century, where, um, where where realtors and city planners determined that investment in predominantly African areas was very risky and not worthy of investment, and therefore they uh, uh, therefore the uh, let's see, insurance and uh, housing uh, loans were harder to get because of this. And uh, let's see, and Africans and other people of color became trapped in uh, in the least desirable parts of an urban area, such as near uh, n- uh, near factories uh, and so on. Whereas, uh, let's see, uh, areas that were uh, more predominantly European, uh, you know, there were that there were transportation systems developed, parks and other green spaces, uh, so that so that the, the the heat effect, the heat island effect, wasn't as intense in those areas. You know, Brother Hockey, based upon a structured design of a city, they can anticipate now, on the average from the past, more than 600 Americans died, and over 65,000 uh, had some kind of had to seek some kind of emergency uh, medical care as a result of excessive heat. And we say this particular condition seemed to dominate more towards communities where African and people of color live. And I hate to use that term, people of colors, but let's say the so-called population did not get that fair shape. What do you make of the genocide policies? How can we change that? And why were we not aware of how these cities are being designed and its impact on people? Yeah, brother African. Let me let me just uh, let me just take a different a different tact uh, to the particular question, and let me just start with the economic argument. One of the things you know during the '30s, uh, one of the things when they started building affordable housing for poor people. Keep in mind, Africans were not uh, privileged housing; it was only for poor white people. And so, therefore, those conditions that we talk about in terms of the, the heat index, 
or was attributable, directly attributable to poor white folks who lived in those spaces. Now, since then, of course, through the 60s when they started building, you know, um, uh, spaces out in suburbs, of course, poor white folks had access to access to uh, to loans, and so therefore they could have they could get a hold of those loans, you know, purchase homes in the suburbs. And so what happened was that was a, a flight, white flight, you know, from your cities, um, from your more heated areas to more cooler areas in, in, in the suburbs. But having said that, I think it's important to understand that, you know, um, you know that the, the this, this whole phenomenon in terms of you know the heat index as it relates to poor areas of the city has been been well known since the 60s and something that's been done, talked about for a long long time and so it's not new science in terms of this phenomenon. Uh, the mere fact that uh, there's been no move in terms of you know you know you know uh, redesigning the city speaks values in terms of this propensity. In terms of the continued process in which you know that you're going to subject people into a situation in which, uh, given their economic health, this heat can be very, very dangerous. So, therefore, we 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 understand that this 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 process in terms of this indifference in terms of human life, particularly African life, is something that's very much uh, part of the urban planning. And so, therefore, we can realistically speaking, we can't anticipate you know there being any change in terms of development of, of these of these urban spaces. Uh, but one thing, Brother Africa, I think when you ask the question, you know, um, you know, does it t- is it tantamount to um, to, to genocide? Um, I, I maybe 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 not. Uh, maybe that's a bit. Maybe that maybe that that characterization is a bit loaded. I, I think, but I think certainly it has the potential to undermine uh, not only one's health, but undermine undermine one's quality of life. In that sense, that when we talk about kids going to school. It certainly could impact on a kid's ability to learn. I mean, if you were, if it's, I mean, you you in a hot space, and and assuming that you don't have access to air condition, uh, clearly it could impact on one's academic uh, abilities. So, so I think that this kind of phenomenon, in terms of this, this this heat index in city in city, in city spaces, is not going anywhere. So I think it's one of those things that you know when you ask the question, what can we do in terms of limiting that situation? I don't know, Brother Africa, unless uh, you know, unless we get together and acquire large sums of land in which we can build our own housing, in which we have the kind of amenities that we need to deal with that heat index. I, I don't see anything that we can do in terms from a, from urban perspective that's going to you know, greatly impact on you know these people's desire to continue to build housing, uh, which is uh, catastrophic to the health of you know of, of African people. Okay, we have a listening audience. We have a participant who would like to have a question or comment. We're going to bring in our um, participant. We're going to bring in our caller, 4644. Call us 4644. The mic is yours. Your question or comment. Well, you know, this uh, this report, I have issues with it. And I'm going to give you reference to St. Louis. Blacks moved into and lived in the homes, apartments that whites lived in in the city of St. Louis. And whites and other blacks moved out. Take Ferguson, for instance. The black population that occupied Ferguson a, a couple of years, a few years before August of 2014 with the Mike Brown incident, they had been living there for decades. Air-conditioned homes, manicured lawns, and so on and so on and so on. They had a tough police department. They were the majority of the population, so whatever was going on, they approve of it. 
uh, Mayor Knowles, the long-standing mayor, they re-elected him. I say, I say he got re-elected in 2018. But now those blacks that had been there for years are fleeing the blacks that's moving in now. So you have to give account for that too. They're moving in. They have air-conditioned home and air-conditioned automobiles, and we're talking about a suburban area. That's I mean that's just the way the flight works. They come from the city, and they go out into the suburban area. The whites that's there move and sell to the blacks, and the blacks that's there now are fleeing the same way blacks fled D.C. into further out areas to get away from a whole host of things. So to say that these were by design and they're racist, I don't, you know, that's kind of far stretch. You know, your gentrification in these areas, you have blacks that's living in these areas too, and you have black developers. In St. Louis, they have a couple of them, Yafet Alamein and Kevin Bryant. So I think that's got to be revisited, re-looked at, and probably come up with a better explanation because a lot of things are reported on in order to inflame, and I don't think that does anybody any good. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Carl. We'll have to respond to your comments. Anyone like to respond to our brother's comments? Yeah. I, I don't think you're listening to what we're saying, Brother Africa. I, I, I think his arguments are, are, are totally <laughs> unresponsive to what, what was raised. We're not saying that African people who live in, in nice homes in, 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 in nice neighborhoods across the board don't have access to green lawns and trees. That's, that's not what we're saying. For those Africans who live in those areas, of course, the kind of heat, the heat dissipation that Brother Anthony talked about is not an issue because they have green lawns. We're talking about areas in which it's, concrete, it's only concrete and steel, which the heat tends to be elevated simply because heat and concrete tend to reflect that heat. That's what we're talking about. I don't think he understands what we're, what we're talking about. He's talking about class, people moving in, people moving out. Nobody's saying that uh, African people don't have a right to move into suburbs, we understand this, the, this. We understand the status associated with living in the suburbs. Nobody here is naive. We understand that people, and people have that right. If you think it makes you more important or self-important to live in the, in the suburbs, then by all means, move to the suburbs. We're not saying that you don't have that right. We're not critical of you moving into the suburbs. That's not what we're saying. We're simply saying that there are there are cities in which people live in concrete and steel, and as a result of living in concrete and steel, the heat gets magnified. That's what we're saying. I don't think he understood what we're saying. So he's trying to make a, 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 a class argument when we're saying that definitively, you know, and I even made an example in terms of doing the 30s, how poor white folks lived in these same urban areas, which, which was concrete and steel, who, who was privy to the same kind of heat index. So I don't think he's listening to nothing that we're saying. So I'll close with that and let other people respond to him. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, it's okay if I yeah. chime in. Yeah, go ahead, Bobby. I found an article that I am reading, and this was a study done for St. Louis in terms of air pollution done from Washington University um, in the Missouri area. And this said that in terms of St. Louis, in those areas where predominantly black poor residents reside, they have a much higher exposure to carcinogenic air pollution. So we're looking at this article in terms of how um, if the geography has certain conditions in place, it may be more hazardous. This is important what Brother Haki was raising earlier in terms of it's done by design. In regards to the caller to be ignorant to that, I'm not sure I'm saying where he's getting his facts from. Like I said, this is done from a university that's within the Missouri area in terms of how 
there is a link between um, geographic design and those hazards that um, create all kinds of issues for one's health. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, brother, thank you, brother Jabari. I, I'm glad that you raised that. I wasn't going to even get into the Pacifics. I have some information in front of me about Missouri, but you know, I wasn't. I didn't want to get into it with this brother. You know, I'm, I I appreciate the fact that he had enough uh, gumption to call in and express what he feel because these kind of class arguments, we need to have these kind of arguments, these kind of discussions. So I applaud the brother for calling in and raising something, even if it's off the point. But anyway, thank you very much, brother Jabari. Okay. Brother Moses, any thoughts on this article before we do our closing out for the day? Um, yeah, it's an interesting article. I'm going to leave it right there. I'll, I'll move to the closing. Thank you. Okay. Audience, we um, have come to the end of this time. We're going to have to make this transition. And we're going to each one of y'all discuss our final thoughts for tonight as we deal with this whole issue of deception and this question of retooling for power. Brother Moses, we can start out with you. Your final thoughts for the night. Yes, I just want to emphasize that, you know, we we got a con man in the White House, and, and this, the, he had no interest in pursuing the interests of black people, African people, or anything to do with us. And, and you know, he, will, he uses good PR and uh, propaganda and he he puts images and 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 up to uh to fake out and uh, disguise what his real intentions are he'll present some black faces instead but we have to be clear we got to get rid of we got to get rid of he, we we cannot go four more years of this uh, hopefully uh, Anyway, I, I'm just frustrated. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Zavabi, your final thoughts for tonight. It's clear that there's a multitude of issues that um, impact us. And now is not the time to be willfully ignorant or listen to any kind of sources that are distorting what the real reality is. We need to face the facts and be diligent about <clears throat> organization to create a better paradigm before we repeat some of the mistakes that we've made far too often. Peace. Thank you, Brother Bobby. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, let me just say, brother, let's just reiterate, Brother Africa. I'm just I'm just happy the brother called in. You know, he always come in. He's, I think he's trying to be provocative, and that's fine. Uh, we'll continue to struggle with him, so please, by all means, brother, continue to call in, and we'll continue to struggle and we'll try to be respectful as possible because you're very, very respectful. So we appreciate the way in which you articulated your concerns. Uh, the two things I got real quickly, uh, African, African Awareness Association will be going to Cuba. And, of course, we always encourage people, you know, to go Cuba first and see for themselves why Cuba is such a great place. We talk about the importance of institutions, how it impacts on the way people think, the way people behave, the way people interact with one another. Cuba is a perfect example in terms of how human beings should behave. So we encourage people to go to for them, see for themselves firsthand, talk to the Cubans, you know, learn, you know, see what you can bring back to the U.S. in terms of bringing to the community, in terms of empowering our people. So we encourage people to come. For more information, by all means, give us a call at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or call us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. 
And and lastly, Brother Africa, I want to simply say that you know you know um, this the struggle is real. Uh, you know, one of the things that that I, I find very very interesting is that you know the uh, the disallocation of resources in the society and the peculiar impact it has in terms of uh, terms of humanity. And I'm 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 a bit uh, amazed in terms of the the the, the indifference that you know, I often hear in terms of the kind of wholesale injustices human beings are inflicted with on a daily basis in American society. It seems to me this kind of self-destructiveness, and that's what I perceive it as. It seems to me this kind of self-destructiveness, you know, you know, has to come to an end. But it only can come to an end when we need this kind of self-reflection. We have to self self-analyze, you know, why we take certain kind of positions and why the positions we take may not be in the best interest of yourself or for your people or for humanity. So I encourage people firsthand, you know, to by all means build those institutions because it's critical in terms of formatting thought. It's critical in terms of questioning values that are antithetical to that interest. It's critical in terms of our survival. So build those institutions. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix, and you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight? My final thought for tonight is that uh, our enemies are waging wars, war against us on many fronts, including political, economic, cultural, religious, etc., and the only way we can uh, we, we we can get our liberation is by joining an organization that is working for people's liberation and getting politically educated and increasing the level of organization among our people. Thanks. And for the brother Anthony, how can they find out more information about your organization? Yeah, thank you. Y'all will be hosting this year African Liberation Day on May 23rd in Washington, D.C. Can you just speak uh, just a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, certainly, uh, our theme this year for uh, African Liberation Day and Palestine Day 2020 is not yet Uhuru. Uh, in combat, combat with women's suppression, neocolonialism, Zionism, and settler colonialism worldwide, it will take place May 23rd in Washington, D.C. For more information, you can visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, it will take place in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House. So we encourage uh, everybody to uh, come and uh and those who cannot come please give your give uh give us your support thanks thank you also Anthony, for your contribution to today's program and to our listening audience and supporters as always we thank you for allowing us to come in your homes this evening to speak truth to power and to provide your information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation to help liberate your people and all of humanity, we remind you that you can catch Africa on the Move every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. And we would like to always remind you to always, always try to struggle to go forward, Apple, and backwards, Apple. We look forward to you next week. And remember, 
the ultimate goal for all African people is to struggle for Pan-Africanism. It is the key that will set all African free. So we can move forward. I will be back with another tonight and lead you with some lead you with some sound of sweet liberation. Start with Palestine. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love, needs our love. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love, Palestine.